my mom was a great mom. Uh, it's a little hard for me even to say the was because my mom passed away in 2015. Uh, she was really great, though. And I, I think probably if you asked her, she wouldn't have necessarily categorized herself as such. She probably would have remembered her own faults and the places where she felt like she let other people down. She kind of uh, had been a mom kind of forever. Her sisters say that she had even was kind of a mom to them even when she was really young. Um, she had her own faults, but she did really great. And she had quite a job. I'm the oldest of five kids. You can imagine how crazy that was. She described it as she had four rowdy boys and one lovely handicapped daughter. Her hands were full all the time. Just imagine the sound in the car driving around. In fact, that was one of the things I love about my mom. She, she used to joke about wanting to have a limousine. She was already somebody who uh, drove us around, was kind of our chauffeur. It wasn't for her to go in it. She said, I would love to have one of those limousines because in the limousine, you can always close that window, like that. And sometimes when it started to get a little bit loud in the back and she kind of just had enough, I could just see her up in the front and she would just go like this, like just kind of, yeah, like just mimicking the thought, just the dream. And some of you just thought that is a great idea. You maybe should think about doing that. Uh, so we, as parents, we get frustrated with our kids. Maybe you've been in situations where you get frustrated by other people's kids having issues. You thought, I should have bought the better noise-canceling headphones than the ones I did. Uh, we wish that there was some kind of a magic wand. Uh, so it is frustrating to us when siblings have fights or when they get too rowdy. So it should be unsurprising to us then, that God also does not love it when his kids fight. He doesn't want to see his kids fighting, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about fighting, and specifically about the relationships in the people of God as we don't always get along, uh, because we struggle in our relationships with other believers at times. Uh, maybe it's because somebody has disappointed you. Uh, maybe it's because somebody has let you down. Somebody, people have hurt us. Not just out there. I'm talking about in here. And sometimes it was on accident. I I've maybe have done that to you. I'm sorry. There are careless words, things that we say that, that hurt each other. But sometimes it was even on purpose. We hurt each other. And even if that's not you personally, if you, even if you don't feel like that, our friends and neighbors can tell that story. There are people who have been hurt. And we want, we want church to be a place where people can live their authentic Selves, to really be known and to know other people, uh, where you can form close relationships. But for as good as all of that might be, we also, we, that's kind of the ideal. We also run into the reality that things don't always look like that. Uh, that we end up, when we run into that part, we feel confused and hurt by it. Well, there are a few things that we should just kind of get out right from the get go for us. Uh, some uncomfortable realities that we should say about life in church. And I want to say specifically about life at Simi Covenant Church. A few things I want to say. We are going to let you down. Uh, one, it's one thing for us to say, hey, we're not a perfect community, right? We, I think we oftentimes say that kind of stuff. It's one thing to say we are not a perfect community, but it's a whole other thing to say at some point, we are going to let you down. We might make a decision that you disagree with. Uh, there might be something that you find really hurtful. And, it, and we just have to admit that's going to happen. And the, second, the, real, the reason for that is the second one, that the real cost of community is that we are vulnerable 
to being hurt. Pastor J.R. Briggs says this. He says, the cost of being close to others is that they now have the ability to step on your toes hard. You know that, right? Our experience of the people that we are closest to are the ones who can hurt us the most. In fact, the more potential, the closer the relationship, in fact, the more potential it has for impact in our lives, both positive and negative. And then he adds this really great short quip. If we're close enough to help, we're close enough to hurt. Okay, so if, if, you, that, if we're close enough to help you, if you feel like you can get blessed by things, we're close enough to hurt you. Uh, the only way to ensure that you can ever not be hurt in community is to keep people at a distance, but that means cutting yourself off from all the ways that those people could help us as well. So we're going to let you down. Simi's going to let you down. Hopefully, that if the real cost of community for us is that we are close enough that we can help, but uh, that the risk is that it's close enough to hurt. Third thing is the struggles of our life together as believers are actually things that God is going to use to form us as disciples of Jesus. It's not separate from our training as followers of Jesus. It's actually part of it, that other people are helping to shape us as followers of Jesus. A little bit kind of like the resistance training sort of thing, right? You're, you're with other people. They challenge you in ways you don't like. Maybe they have ideas that you never thought of that can be a positive way, but it also can be, maybe it's, a, it's, it's hard to be patient with somebody, but that's part of it. That we are going to disappoint each other. That's kind of inevitable. Uh, but the question is, what are, what are we going to do with that disappointment? Do we see that this is something that is forming us as believers, when we face our disappointment with other people, are those things going to end up being a wedge between us and God? Or is it something that's going to make us turn to God in prayer? Are, are, the, are we going to run away from community when something goes wrong? Or are we going to say, wow, that's kind of what community means, and have to double down and say, I need to go deeper? Are we going to get bitter, resentful, or are we going to cry out for God's mercy and help? Will it drive us toward God? Well, how can God's word help us? As we run into these situations, you maybe have experienced some of these things. Uh, I, I hope that you have been journeying with God in a way that allows you to say, I, I want you, Lord. I know, that, I know that I'm hurt. That's not, it doesn't reflect on you, but we can't help sometimes but have those kind of things reflect on God. God's word does help us when we are disappointed and hurt, uh, because it pushes us toward our ideals, but it also tells us about some of the reality, about what life looks like and what community looks like, that there's painful aspects of that. And what God's word is going to tell us is that a unified Christian community is going to need ongoing effort. A unified Christian community is going to need ongoing effort. And we're going to see that today in our passage in Ephesians 2. So if you have a, a Bible, go ahead and open that up. Open your app to Ephesians chapter 2. I said 4. I said 2. It's 4. Sorry. 4. It's Ephesians 4. Verse 2. I had the 2 in my head. There you go. See, it let you down in big and small ways. Look at that. So get used to it. There you go. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 6. It says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we we ask you to guide us today. May your Holy Spirit be active in our lives and drive us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. To look full in his wonderful face. May we be people who live into the unity of our community. Help us to do that by your power and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Over the past month or so, as I mentioned, we have been going through this series called Proactive versus Reactive. And we're saying that if we are proactive, if we we make a decision ahead of time, it's going to help us to get the things that we actually desire, to become the people that we want to and to get the outcomes that we're really aiming for. And we, we say that we want to be committed to being proactive in lots of different aspects of our life, in our spirituality. We want to be proactive. We want to say, hey, having faith matters, and and I want to take steps toward growing in my faith, to to make it a priority, and and to to allow myself to grow in that way. We're going to also be proactive in our words, recognizing that the knee-jerk reaction isn't always the best one, but we want to choose our words and to choose words that will form people for the good, to to not let bad words escape, but only those things that are useful for building people up according to their needs. Then we we talked about proactively engaging our world. Specifically, we should use our, our words to speak good news. We want to engage our world with the good news of Jesus. And we also want to engage the world with the good news of our actions, that our actions would demonstrate the kind of compassion that God has had for us, that we would love people that we wouldn't naturally love, that those would be our way of engaging the world. In our last message here, we're going to be talking about our relationship with other believers. And it's, I think it's going to have implications for other relationships. We're going to start specifically here, and we're going to hopefully see this radiating out beyond us. So how can we be proactive instead of reactive in our relationships with other believers? Well, Ephesians 4 gives us both a what and a why. So the what is, what are we going to do? What are some of the actions that we're actually going to take? And then he's going to turn and he's going to explain to us the why. Why should we do all of these things? The what and the why. So start with the what. And in the what, there is a kind of terrible relief that's there. Um, it's relieving because if you have experienced some problems in Christian community, you feel like, hey, Paul's talking about that stuff, that that. that If people need to be humble and patient and gentle, maybe he has to tell people that because it's a normal thing. So my experience isn't because I'm bad or because I chose a bad place to be. It's just because that's kind of part of being with other human beings. So that is a relief for us. It's normal. But it's also kind of terrible, right? Because that's what's normal. That's kind of terrible. If what we have experienced is is normal, then, then in some ways, there's, there's no escaping from that. I, I say that knowing that some of you maybe have experienced things that are actually either criminal or actually really terrible. I'm not saying that kind of stuff is normal, but just the, the normal friction of life, of being with other people. So I, I don't want to overstate that, but it is terrible because there's no place we could go where we would be able to completely hide from that experience. 
Paul, though, he gives us some practical ways, some proactive ways that we can think about interacting with our fellow believers, and we're going to take them in chunks here. So he starts off with by saying, be completely humble and gentle. You know, we could probably just meditate on that part, and that itself will kind of take care of everything. I hate the word completely in there, completely humble and gentle, right? Um, It's hard. So to be gentle, let's start with the gentle bit. To be gentle means that we have to renounce being harsh with other believers, with other people. I wonder what it would mean for us to renounce, to turn away from harshness in our interactions with other people. Humble, be completely humble. I think we have seen how pride can be a part of just about every Every conflict that we've had, every difficulty that we've had with people, because if we're, if we're constantly maneuvering for re- the respect that we actually do deserve, but even if we're fighting for that, it ends up causing extra friction. It causes problems. Prior to New Testament times, the word humble was not a compliment. It, in all the literature in, in the ancient world, humility is never used as a compliment. It's always a bad thing. Nobody would have ever encouraged their kids to be humble back then because it, it's, it gets in the way of success. And I think a lot of our modern world would agree with that. It gets, it, it gets kind of confused with being passive or maybe not, not going and getting it enough. But Jesus Christ changed that. His life and death and his service to us were based in humility he, he didn't try to prop up his own reputation. He did what he needed to do and let his actions speak for himself. And in the end, he was exalted by the Father. And, and we as followers of Jesus are called to follow Jesus' example, follow in his footsteps because of what he's done, that we would be people who are humble like him. He is our king and our leader, and we should be like him. And so, actually, Jesus caused this revolution that we would see that humility would actually be a positive aspect of our character, and that it actually even reflects the character of God. Humility flows from our worship. Because if we are people who, who worship God and see him for as amazing and as perfect as he really is, then we're the, a natural flowing of that, outflow of that, will be that we recognize how broken and sinful we are, how distant we are from God. We can actually look at God as so amazing, and it, 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 we recognize ourselves as being so broken. We don't have to pretend. If we're worshiping in that way, we don't have to pretend like we're better than somebody else, do we? We can be actually humble. So what does that mean to be humble and gentle? I, I think we need to talk to other people like we might be wrong. We can assume that there are things that other people have to put up with in us. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, this is a lifelong journey. Uh, the, I, I've been I'm meditating on this verse for a while, and it's really, uh, it's, um, it's, it's difficult, but it, I think that it has the potential to really revolutionize all of our relationships. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the author, he gives a really good picture of humility, and here's a quote from his book, In Mere Christianity. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who looked 
who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think that you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. So we need to come with humility. That means examining our pride. All right, um, we're going to handle this a little chunk. So the next little chunk that we're going to look at here in verse 2, he says, Be patient and bear with one another in love. As I was memorizing this one, I, I, I kept skipping the with love part. Bear with one another. And remember, this is in love. We're supposed to do that. So if we're patient, uh, that means, hey, we're letting go of our own timeline. Things need to happen when I want it, on the, on the timeline that I want it. But we have to give people time to learn and grow. And that's going to be hard. And, I, and it's interesting. I feel like all those first three, being humble, gentle, and patient, boy, just aims at me, Right? Those are all things that I'm supposed to do. Uh, even bearing with each other is as well. I love the phrase, bearing with one another in love. Because it, it is not easy to do, we can admit that. But it means that my experience of meeting people who I have to bear with is actually kind of what God expected, right? We have to bear with somebody. Have you ever had to bear with somebody, put up with? Yes? Uh, Paul is admitting that that is part of it. You know, another translation for this, the, 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 the French translation of this really brings it out. I loved when you would hear this in a French church. I lived in France for a long time, if you don't know that about me. Uh, but uh, the, the, word, the word bear with just means putting up with somebody, right? You got to put up with them. You got to put up with other people. And, and it's, it, it, bearing with people doesn't just mean avoiding talking to that person and then talking about them to someone else, right? We're clear about that, right? That's not bearing with them is to talk about them to somebody else. That's not how we bear with people. But putting up with people, it, you know, there's a, there's a certain percentage of life that means that we're going to have to put up with living together. If we don't live with people who are exactly like us, which is everybody else, right? If we're going to be able to do that, then there has to be a certain percentage of that we have to put up with. I don't know what's the right percentage in a church. I don't know, 10%, 20% you got to put up with. I think once, if you are putting up with 100% of this, you feel like you're always putting up with, maybe this is not the place, all right? Um, but, hey, if, if you feel like, you know what, I'm, I have to put up with like 20% of the stuff around here, you're like, yes, that's about right, right? Uh, and if it's not, that means that we are either not engaging deeply enough or, or maybe we're in a place where it's an echo chamber, which happens more and more these days, right? We, we don't want to just be in an echo chamber. So we have to bear with each other. That means that there are things that we have to put up with with others, and it means that we should be not surprised when we find that that is true. It does not mean that God is not working in those people because they disagree with us. Uh, maybe God is using that person to stretch you a little bit. Uh, it's probably the case when you think about, let's just be clear about who this is. When you're thinking about putting up with and bearing with people, it tends to probably not just be people who are far enough away from you. It might be the people you came in the car with today, right? As I have meditated on this, I, it's, it's really struck me. Can I be uh, patient and bear with uh, in love? My own kids, right? Uh, there's nothing they have to put up with with me. 
you guffaw. <laughs> then he says, make every effort. In verse 3, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. I, I feel super exposed by this one. Make every effort. A, a lot of times I don't, we don't make any effort to keep unity of the Spirit, right? Let's be honest. Like, maybe I say, maybe I make a little effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. Do everything you can. Work as hard as you can to keep the unity of the Spirit. Go all in on this. So oftentimes what we do is when we find somebody who disagrees with us, we just find somewhere else to be. Right? And that might work sometimes, but there are real differences that we have. And, and we can say, hey, listen, there, there are real differences. There are things that we can actually honestly disagree about that, that a church could split about. I don't know, something. But, but if, it's, if it's not done in the Spirit, that's the issue, is if somebody is not wanting to worship Jesus, not wanting to be in the Spirit, this bond of peace, those are the things that actually are divisive. But we... We can keep unity of the Spirit. We can worship in different ways than other churches in town, but they're still our brothers and sisters. So we're trying to make every effort we can to keep the bond of the Spirit in, in the, bond, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And it, it gets really interesting here. Uh, it, you might be wondering, hey, there, there are a lot of natural barriers, a lot of natural friction. There's a lot of this natural problems that we would have between people. So how can it be then that we would be able to create unity in our church. How, how is it possible when we're all so different? And Paul, you know what he says? We don't. He says we don't create unity. We don't make it happen. He says keep the unity of the Spirit because the Spirit is the one that brings the unity. The Spirit is the one who does it. He says we aren't the ones who establish unity. We are already fundamentally united. The question is, are we going to try to keep it? Are we going to do everything that we can to work to be in life together with the people who we are actually fundamentally united with? He says, there's one body and one spirit. Verse 4. Just as you were called to one hope. There's, there's only one body. You know, we, we worship in lots of churches, but and this isn't saying that there's like a universalism kind of thing. If, if there is one Jesus, there is only one Lord. There is one body of Christ, one spirit. It's not like there's multiple spirits. You were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Isn't, that's, kind of, that's kind of shocking, right? Because a lot of people have even divided over the issue of baptism. Seems kind of strange, but there is only one baptism. We are all baptized into Christ. There's only one Jesus. We get baptized into Christ. And there is one God and Father of all who is over all through all, and in all. So with all the apparent divisions and differences, none of them change the fact that there is one God, and that God is triune. There's, you see the Trinity in there. Look, you see where he says there's a one Lord, that's Jesus, one God and Father, one Spirit that we are called to. So it's super important. We don't create the unity. We live into the unity that Christ, that God's spirit does, God the Father, that we need to be unified as our triune God is unified. So this fundamental unity that we have 
is supposed to be part of our own self-understanding as believers, that, that I know that I'm connected to other people. Actually, I can't do faith by my own, uh, on my own, by myself. I, I, I can't, and I am unified to other people. I remember when I was in, in church in Paris about 20 years ago, and there were people in this church, you know, being in a really big city, metropolitan city, it is a, a melting pot of the world that is there. And there were people in our church that were there from many different con- uh, countries. I remember in particular, there was one brother from Mali. I had never met anybody from Mali before. It was just kind of a place I saw on the news maybe. Uh, but there was a brother from Mali, and there, were, there was a famine going on in his village. And in our church, we took up a collection to buy millet for his village. I didn't even know what millet was, right? It's a grain. Uh, but so we were br- buying basically rice to care for his village thousands of miles away. And, and there was something about that moment where I realized this guy had come from a Muslim background, and he wanted to be able to witness to his community, to say this to his village, uh, this church is buying things for you. And there was something about that experience that I felt such a unity in Christ with that brother from Mali. I realized that that in that church as I looked around, I said, I have so much in common with these people. These are people I'm going to spend eternity with. And I kind of couldn't believe it. I thought, they don't even root for the right teams. That never happens to me here. I never think that about you guys. But I knew that these are people that I'm going to spend eternity with. And, and it's because of what Christ has done that he has unified us. It's, and, and what I realized was I had more in common with this brother from Mali who I couldn't even comprehend what his childhood was like. But I had more in common with him than I did with somebody who is not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, who grew up on my street who roots for all the same teams that I do, who likes the same food that I have, that, that, who, who speaks the same language with the same accent as me, who understands me. He knew all the same childhood video games I played and all the, all the TV shows and the things that I like to joke about. I have more in common eternally with this brother from Mali with whom I have nothing worldly in common because of what Jesus has done. And that blew my mind Because you and I, we deep down are now unified with other believers because of what Christ has done. We have more people, we have more in common with these people, even now, this side of glory, than with people with whom we would just get along. So you have more in common with followers of Jesus in in Central America. You have more in common with followers of Jesus in Kyrgyzstan. You probably can't even find it on a map. You have more in common with regular people who love Jesus in Bangladesh than you do with other regular people who also grew up in Simi Valley. Uh, I have a friend who is a gospel worker in Israel, and it is this fundamental unity in Christ that is visible in some events that he's told me about. He's told me about events where Messianic Jewish followers of Jesus, people who grew up Jewish and who are, uh, follow the Messiah, they love Jesus, They worship alongside faithful Christian Arabs and also with Christian internationals. And they are all united under one Lord, one Messiah, Jesus Christ. And do you think that kind of unity is very easy? I would guess not. 
but it is a fundamental unity, and they have to work toward it. So they are unified. They have to do some work to get there. And you and I, we have more in common with another person who loves Jesus, but who votes differently than us, than you do with somebody who is not a follower of Jesus and who follows your votes straight down the card. You have more in common with these people eternally, eternally than with somebody who votes very differently than you. Because there's a fundamental unity that we have in Jesus that is so much more important than any of that other stuff that's not going to last. Because our eternity, your eternity, is not based ultimately on anything you've done. It's by clinging to Jesus, the one who gave his life for you, the one who rose again in glory. So our unity is a fact. Is it going to be easy? No. we got to work for it, right? Because people do dumb things and say dumb things and don't root for the right baseball teams like me, right? So let's bring it back to the beginning here, just for the close. This church, See Me Covenant Church, if you stay here, we are going to let you down. Awesome, right? Wonderful note to be on. Um, but that's the price of getting close. And the only way to not have that happen is if you choose to keep us at arm's length. But the only way that happens is if you aren't close enough for us to help you. Because part of growing in faith is, is that stretching, the, the, even the friction of being with other believers. That's part of us growing. So it's, if, if you find somebody who thinks differently than you, praise God. It's part of, we are praise God that God is unified. You know what, God, God wasn't surprised that church is kind of hard. God knew that he wanted to work through the church to display his glory in broken people. And you know who gets glorified in that? It's not us. It's Jesus. So if there is any unity, we can say, look, uh, the Spirit's at work clearly because it's not us. Right? So we're going to let you down, but that's the price of getting close. And we need to be formed. We need to be shaped by working hard toward our fundamental unity. And it's not going to be easy. We're going to have to... Be completely humble and gentle and be patient to bear with one another in love. It's not very fun. All right, here's my next step. Here's, here's my challenge for you. It's kind of a silly one, easy. I want you to take the five-minute challenge. Take the five-minute challenge. And this is a first step. Right? I'm not asking you to, like, have a debate like a friendly debate with somebody who thinks really different than you on issues of some theological subject or um, the way that you view something. I, I'm not asking for that. I want you to try to put on completely humility, patience, all that kind of stuff by um, doing this for the first five minutes after church to talk to different people. So for the fire, first five minutes after church gets out, talk to somebody who's not a normal part of your normal circle. You're not looking for somebody that you're mad at or something like that. I'm not saying that. It's like, don't read too much into it. If everybody comes up and wants to talk to me, like, I've got to be with you, Kurt. Don't, that's not what we're saying. We're just like, hey, you're not the, like, I don't normally turn and talk to you, right? So I normally turn and talk to my wife, maybe. But I'm going to try to turn and talk to somebody else. I'm going to go there. So this is our challenge. And I would like to challenge us to do that for the next three weeks. The next two weeks, we have a, um, some food that's coming after church. We'll tell you about that next week. Pupusas. Ah, si, senor. Gracias. Amen. Praise the Lord for Salvadorans. Um, so, um, the, um, so we're having a barbecue on uh, Memorial Day weekend. But 
This is my five-minute challenge. If you normally split right after church as fast as you can, um, we're going to let the kids, if you go to get your kids, the kids can wait a couple extra minutes to say hi to somebody new. That's my five-minute challenge. And the idea is we're, working, we're doing everything we can to work toward unity, to keep the unity, right? We're just doing everything we can because we're unified, but we have to work at it. This passage was aimed at a Christian community, right? But doesn't, can't you see that there would be some applications other places in our life? Wouldn't it be amazing if people saw us as being humble and gentle and patient in all the interactions that we have in our lives? My kids would thank the Lord for me to have that. What if, what if in all of our political differences, if this applied out beyond Christianity, if we said if it was Christians who said, you know what, you and I are both Americans. That's a fundamental unity that we have. What if we said, you know what, that's more important even than some of our political divisions. What if we said, we are fundamentally connected, but I'm going to demonstrate humility and gentleness and patience with you if you disagree with me in the political arena. That, I would like for you to run for politics. If you're willing to do that, I will be your first vote. I want you to do that. All right. I think that this is going to pay dividends in our society. It's going to help your other relationships. So let's pray that we can be people who do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word from our brother Paul here in Ephesians, somebody who we are united with even though we are separated by 2,000 years from him, the great cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on so that we will run the race of faith with perseverance. May we be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, to bear with one another in love. Lord, help us to do that in some small way this week and next. We, we want to be people who, who demonstrate that we know what Jesus has done for us because we're humble enough to know that maybe sometimes we're wrong too. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.